I feel that when we find our note, we find the song of our soul. And if we can begin to express this, it produces a level of harmony within our beings where we feel immensely powerful. And that's really what it is to become an empowered and integrated human being, a spiritual being having a human experience. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. I'm just a girl. I'm just a girl. Me and LT were singing the good old... A Midwestern classic, a song that defines my childhood. I'm just a girl, but also I'm kind of a boy too. No, no, that. Well, you are. Um, What is it? uh, How does it first? How does it? Oh, oh, oh. We were we were completely disturbed when yeah this we realized we sang this as children. Twenty four seven. McDonald's, McDonald's, Kentucky Kentucky Fried Fried Chicken and a Pizza Hut. How does it start out? Harmony. I think that was it, which is the worst song ever, if that's where you're starting. Isn't that crazy? But like free advertising. (laughs) I just like that was like all we had to sing about. Yeah. Brand name fast food chains. And like um Q? Miss Mary Mac. Miss Mary Mac Mac Mac. I'll dress in black black with silver buttons on her back. It just sounded like a like a boudoir shoot, and yeah. Miss Mary was like the star of it, dude. Yeah, with silver buttons <laughs> all what down her back, yeah, back, back. She jumped so high, <laughs> she touched the sky. What the fuck's that about? <laughs> and never came back. It's back. a clapping game. Oh, thanks, Wikipedia. Why was she dressed in black? What's that? That sounds creepy. That sounds like me, <laughs> dude. There's a bunch of what's that one creepy song where it's like. Talks about like killing your teacher. Oh, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's like, and then the teacher will die. <laughs> it's 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 honestly like that. It's like oh, uh, so many listeners are screaming. I know at you us guys right know now it. That they know. It's like um, it's uh, we need a producer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love Google. If Google gets me for this one, no, no, they weren't. I said teacher dying song. <laughs> Mm. They're like Marilyn, Marilyn Manson dope show. Uh, yeah, literally, they were like, ah, uh. no. yeah. Anyway, we're a little silly at the end of this day. Yeah, it's been a great day though. It's been the most amazing day. Being very conscious about g- people giving energy and people taking. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, you guys know we interview a lot of people. Everyone's incredible. It's just like, and we're, we're meeting a lot of people too. So it's just very interesting to kind of take note. It doesn't mean we don't like them. It's just like when people take energy and we don't receive it back or vice versa, it's just really interesting or that they're, they are kind of a draining energy, but today was all, I would literally am so filled up. I'm could fucking fly to Mars. 
I could too. Today's interview I'm on is- a high. Yeah. <laughs> when Alok was talking, we have a we have bomb interviews coming up. Yeah. I was like, I'm doing it. Yeah. I literally was like, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Me I'm too. I'm doing it. I, I wanted to slide off the chair and just like smack the He doesn't floor. even know. That was casual. That was casual convo. He doesn't. Cash con. And he doesn't even understand. Know. Well, no, he does. He knows everything. Well, he knows everything, but he doesn't understand how literally him just talking at night, the end of his day in New York had so much impact. I know. Like he's, oh. and Stuart, I mean, today. I mean, today is, in, is insane. So this is someone who I've wanted to bring on the podcast for a little while now. I met Stuart Pierce um, at our Soul Cycle Legends Retreat, which is a retreat for, you know, instructors. Legends, legends baby. It's for legends only. <laughs> <laughs> they check your legends and they say- We had mm-hmm. to apply. They say, um, they say mm-mm, yes, yes. Mm-mm, yeah. But really my, my favorite part about it, one was Stuart, number one, and I'll tell you why. And two was just like, getting to hang with other instructors. You're just like, oh, you get it, you know? Um, But so much um, of what brings us joy as instructors and kind of is like the bane of our existence is our relationship with our voice. And as you guys know, and have kind of (laughs) witnessed throughout our evolution as almost 30 podcasts, I'm sure if you go back to earlier episodes, you will remember when I basically didn't have a voice. I was like, hello. Some days we couldn't record. Some days we couldn't record. It was really I remember depressing. you talking to me being like, I can't record. My voice is too bad. Yeah. It was really depressing. So, and uh, my drinking was, ooh, my drinking was out of control. <laughs> it was probably the drink <laughs> and the cigarettes. Yeah, <laughs> um, so, you know, the voice is connected to so much more than just like, you know, your larynx. Um, it's deeply uh, emotional and spiritual, and um, I've just been getting to know it as I've gotten older, and especially as we've like spoken our truth on the podcast. And I truly believe that because you know we're in this world now, and we're speaking on a regular basis, speaking our truth, being ourselves, that I have not lost my voice. Like that is a huge part of it. So anyway, we're going to talk a lot about that. Uh, Stuart is a world-renowned voice coach, and he came to work with us at the Soul Cycle Retreat on finding our true tone. So much of us talk up here because we feel like we have to get everyone's attention because we're women and we just want to command a room in a way that, you know, and like that voice is, you know, it makes me sad, actually. I'm pretty sensitive to it now when I hear women especially who are not on, on their true tone. Um, cause you know that there's probably something going on. I don't mean that in like a weird way. It's just like, they're not quite themselves in every facet of their life. And the voice is just so telling. And it was, and even you've like discovered like mm-hmm. kind of like dropping into your tone too. Yeah. And I notice, like sometimes even when I talk on the phone to certain people, I pitch up and I'm like, why am I pitching I know. up? I, I'll hear you pitch up sometimes talking to um like sponsor staff. No, like family. No, <laughs> keep going. No, like when you're making an appointment. Oh, yeah. So it's a complete stranger. Yeah. Cause I want them to like me and give yes, me the best appointment. 100%. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> hi, this is Lindsay Simsay. Yeah. But I mean, everyone does it. Yeah, like, totally. But it's really interesting. Like, yeah. So Stuart is world renowned. He's worked with everyone in Hollywood. Um, 
but most like notably, at you. least for me, caught me. Uh, no, not me. <laughs> uh, Princess Diana. And uh, they were extremely close. And I don't know if our listeners, yeah, some of you are old enough, if you're kind of aware of, you know, her presence in the world when she was alive, but there was a shift that happened with Princess Diana in finding her voice and her presence as um, a change maker and speaker and um, all of that. And Stuart was one of the people behind that. I mean, which is like, he's also very spiritual Mm -hmm. he was very intuitive yeah he's an intuitive and his story is just beautiful and amazing so the purpose of this is to kind of talk more about tonality your voice where it comes from and not really to look at certain voices or tones as better than the other Mm -hmm. but really to help you guys and educate ourselves and kind of use Stuart's knowledge to really find that your, breath yeah, your that true controls tone. the tone that controls your everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there really is something to it when someone is confident and standing in their light mm-hmm. and in their true tone, there is nothing can stop them. Well, you'll just hear the moment you hear Stuart's voice on the podcast, you'll know what we mean. Yeah. It literally gives me goosebumps yeah. the second I hear it. He's a cool too. He's so And sweet. we've been, and this was kind of a response a lot to the conversations we've been having in the Facebook group. Mm-hmm. So Lindsay and I have been talking about voice and, you know, her voice journey. And then mine too, kind mm. of coming more into my voice. I can feel when I'm, it's like, I'm just more of my highest self when I have a certain vocal tone than I was before, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and we were talked about that. And so this is like in response to that. So we're really excited to explore that with you and kind of just share this with you. It's it's something new. Something new. I don't think anyone's really talking about this. Sorry to say it. I think this is another groundbreak. I think this is an exclusive. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is going to be amazing. Um, Okay. So let's jump into the episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we are loving your reviews and your posts in the group and your DMs and your emails. And um, don't stop. We're, we're always kind of there listening, responding, you know, resharing your posts. So please like tag us and everything. Do you have a review for me? Mm, yeah, I have a great review. Wowza, Christina from New Jersey. I've been putting off writing this review for longer than I'm proud to admit. This podcast has become my Bible of sorts, anxiously waiting for Tuesday and Thursday to come just to get the opportunity to hear Krista and Lindsay be funny and what their guest speaker has to offer. It's amazing to me the way these podcasts resonate in my soul and specifically speak to my life. Things I'm going through have gone through and addressed my struggles and worries. Krista and Lindsay, I'm your newbie manifester, and I'm hoping one day you will need an employee and I can be it for you. I'm an elementary educator and could use a massive career change. I love you guys. Please keep making podcasts until you're old and gray. Honey, I will never be old Uh, and gray, but I will always make podcasts for you. I will be tight in the face and blonde as hell. (laughs) I will be actually like... Donatella Versace. Yeah. That's kind of like what's Except not tan like that because you would never. We used to. My high school (laughs) self, you would be like, oh, she's going to be Donatella. Guys, never mind. What? I was going to say something about who 
This is a funny one too. Um, I was going to say something that some people say look like this person, but I don't want to tell you guys because then I'm going to be- Because literally there's going to be memes in the group. Yes, you guys- There's Krista. You can guess who it is if you want, but- Oh, we should guess. They should guess. Guys, guess who people say that I look like. (laughs) Okay. And guess- Be very careful. (laughs) Be very, very careful. Be kind. Be kind. Um, do you have Guess who one? I look like, but also improve it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have another one too, real fast, because this is actually really cute. Oh, I've learned so much. Wow, where has this podcast been all my life? Seriously, it's amazing. Krista and Lindsay crack me up and both of them ask great questions. I feel mind blown every time I finish this episode. Ever since I heard about this <laughs> podcast, which by the way, I work with Krista's mom. And that's how I found about almost 30. Thanks, Terry. Ah, dead. Dead yes. to the world. Um, I haven't stopped listening. Kristen Lindsay are part of my everyday life. Thank you so much. And also come to Cincy for your tour. Emily from Cincinnati. Yes, oh, Emily, we honey. will. We're coming to Cincy. Don't honey worry. Honey Boo Child will be in Cincy. Oh my God. Terry is a part of Almost 30 Nation. Yeah. What the heck? T-Dog. That makes me so happy. Yeah. T-Dot. We call it, now her new nickname is Top Della T. Top Della T? Yeah. Top Della T. Tala. Dala. Dala. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay is all uh, with it. I was just my grandmother for You're a like, Top Della T. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lapse in something. <laughs> yeah, like, What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Here we are. Here we are. Okay. <laughs> Enjoy the secret Facebook group. There's a lot happening in the secret Facebook group. And then we'll see you on tour. Go to almost30podcast.com slash tour. We cannot wait to meet you. We have some bomb things happening. And then almost 30 podcast mm. on Instagram. We post, Chloe posts some cool shit. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? Let's be real. Yeah. All right, guys, enjoy this episode. I shut up for two years. I muted myself for two years. And my brother actually did all of the, all of the speaking for me. So I became an educationally subnormal child, but developed this really, really rich inner life. And then two years later, at the age of about nine or 10, when I opened my mouth, I began to speak in a very, very different way from a lot of other people. And people kept saying to me, there's something about your voice. There's something about your voice, even at a very early age. And, uh, and then, of course, my voice broke and I moved into secondary education because we have primary education and secondary education in the United Kingdom. And I began to develop a social consciousness, which was far superior to anything that was actually taking place for me academically, mm-hmm. because I just, could, I just didn't fit into the way that they, the teachers were creating a rationale, except for those whose hearts were open. And then I began to recognize, ah, so you're looking for people that have their hearts open. You're looking for people that are actually in connection with their soul. And I could see it in their energy field. I could see it in their aura, Mm. as well, of course, in their eyes. And whatever I did, wherever I went, I heard people saying, but there's something about your voice. There's something about your voice. Have you thought about becoming an actor? Well, I mean, up to that point, I'd never, ever considered, I'd never received any approbation and I'd never considered that I was worth anything because I was constantly being told you are nothing and you will always be nothing. So I thought, well, here's an opportunity. I think I'm going to fly with this one. This seems, this seems really exciting. So to cut long story short, I became an actor. And through my 20s, I worked as an actor for about eight years. Lo and behold, the universe revealed to me that not only did I have a talent, but that I was actually a commodity that a number of people found really enticing 
in the world of the entertainment industry and worked with some very extraordinary theatre companies, one of which was called the Royal Shakespeare Company here, which is where I discovered about telling stories. And I worked alongside people like Patrick Stewart and um, Ian McKellen and Ben Kingsley, you know, who were all very young men then. And, um, and then I went on tour with the company and ended up, it was a world tour, and ended up for, I think, about two or three months on Broadway. And I thought, this is amazing. I love New York City. Mm-hmm. So I stayed on because that was the end of the tour. The company came back to the United Kingdom. I stayed on and I got work on Broadway. And then I got my big break. And my big break was that I was to make a movie. And the movie was being directed by Spielberg. And it, you know, I was moving, therefore, from New York to Hollywood. And everything was, you know, there was my career. I was going to become the greatest actor of the 20th century. And as I was packing up after 18 months, two years of living in New York, the telephone rang and it was my brother saying, what are you doing? And I said, well, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm getting ready to go to Hollywood to make a movie. And he said, are you sitting down? You need to, you need to know that mum's dying of cancer. She's got three months to live. So what are you going to do? So everything moved into slow motion as I decided, now what am I going to do with this? And I had, you know, in a space of just seconds, movie, mum, movie, mum. And of course, I let the movie go and came back to the United Kingdom and nursed my mother for a year. She lasted for a year and then she died of cancer. And then it was a question of now what do I do? Because I've lost my agent, lost my manager. 20th Century Fox were never going to employ me again. I was in breach of contract. And... In the middle of all their mayhem of what that was all about, the telephone rang and everything went into slow motion. So you see there are these wheels of fortune that have created these huge shifts in my perspective and therefore in my destiny. And on the other end of the telephone was a very remarkable woman who was actually the voice director of the Roy Shakespeare Company with whom I'd worked for two, three years, saying, "Um, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm just being this. And she said, oh, bleep uh, what, what you can are you going to do, <laughs> you do? Yeah. and, and uh, I said I don't know she said well come and teach for me and I said but I'm an actor and she said yes but there's something about your voice come and teach for me you've already been through the apprenticeship so to speak mm-hmm. because you worked with me with the, in the company as an actor uh, come and come come and work for me and you know there were a number of assignments that she gave me to, so that I could learn what it was to become a voice coach. And, and then the next breath, she said, and there's this woman I want you to go and work with. I don't want to work with her. She's just taken over the Conservative Party. So this was my first client. It's a woman called Margaret Thatcher. So two weeks later, there I was walking into <laughs> Downing Street. So that's what I meant by the wheel of destiny turning, mm-hmm. that I was obviously called to do something really specific. And arising out of the horror of spending a year watching my mother die of cancer, here was this extraordinary opportunity. So I just went through the door. And so in short, that's how it all started to happen because a lot of, a lot of other stuff has gone on in the meantime. Mm. And I've had some very extraordinary clients. I was Margaret Thatcher, uh, and a wonderful woman called Anita Roddick. Um, I mean, so many people. But then leading up to the fantastic Diana, Princess of Wales, who I worked with for the last two years of her life. We didn't know it was the last two years of our life, but, uh, you know, it certainly was. Mm. So that's, that's a potted version of my story. I'd love to talk about, you said that as a child, 
that you were basically mute during that time for two years. For two years, yeah. So were you? I'd love to talk about kind of your experience in a, in that other realm with what you call spirit or angels. What was that like? And did you, was it a knowing or were you scared? What did it feel like? Do you know, I was never, ever scared. Mm-hmm. I was in awe of the wonder. What I saw was completely benign. You know, what I saw was, com- was completely pure. What I saw was just iridescent, illumined beings of light that resonated such love. I also saw the kingdom of the dark, and I was taught in this no-verbal way of deep, deep knowing that the kingdom of the dark was a place that I didn't need to go into and that I was very protected by these beings of light that I saw as angels and spirit guardians. So I was never frightened. It's the 3D world I was frightened of. Mm. And I couldn't read, you see. I was synesthetic. So I had this crossover of the senses. So I saw sound. And the sound that I saw coming out of people's bodies was either, you know, beautiful pastel colors of pink and blue and yellow, which meant that they were expressing love and sympathy Mm. and empathy and tenderness and truth. Or I saw shocking red and deep purple. Uh, and sometimes when I saw people get angry, it was almost as though they were spitting out shards of glass, you know, cut pieces of glass. And that terrified me. My father was angry. He was bewildered and fearful about what he created. He just didn't understand who I was, what I was. You know, he, he'd been a man who had aspired socially from very lowly, working class situation into this very lofty situation of working for the British Royal Family. He was a war hero because I was born just at the end of the Second World War. And he was just bewildered, absolutely bewildered. And, you know, what they did with children during, this was the early 50s when I was born, um, what they did was they punished you. (laughs) If you couldn't do something, they just beat you. Mm -hmm. I was always being beaten. And that was just terrifying because in order for the headmaster of the school to move into the vector of energy that it takes to beat a child, I mean, to beat a seven or eight-year-old child with a stick, it appeared to be anger. And that was really terrifying Mm -hmm. to behold. So I just got used to being beaten up, up, basically. (laughs) Oh, my God. Your poor little soul. And when you made the transition, I guess, so I assume right now, you know, you're not really as much living in the world where you're seeing colors when people are speaking, or maybe you are, but I'd love to talk about, you know, the transition, I guess, from being that fully ethereal being that's really having a hard time being in this human world and the person that you are now. Where do we begin? Yeah. (laughs) Is it just been your whole life or do you remember like a moment in time in your life where you were kind of like your spirit kind of decided that you needed to ground yourself in the human body and experience the human experiences rather than um, living fully in the um, the world that you were living in where you were seeing everything as like not human. Yeah, there was a great transition when I moved from the innocence 
of childhood through adolescence and discovering sex. Mm. Wow. Wow. That was something. So in discovering sex, that was another way of coming fully back into my body. Wow. And and the hormonal maturities that took place as I grew. And also it was very much to do with the fact that I saw that I was I was found to be attractive. And earlier on, I had always been disciplined, criticized, mm. um, disapproved of, etc., etc. So when I found that in my own right, that people were drawn to me through a charismatic or through an, uh, you know, through an attraction energy, that, that I thought, wait, this is fun. I like this. Mm. And, you know, the early, at the very early age of 15, I fell in love with a, a much older person and we had a three-year relationship. So that was actually a journey of immense maturity. You know, I grew up very, very fast. I was still emotionally immature as far as the inner plane, but as far as the outer plane was concerned, I developed a consciousness that it was able to maneuver myself through the world in a much more effective way. So I suppose I was socially precocious, you know. Mm. What about the physicality of kind of exploring your sexual being and being in your body, how does that relate to the development of your voice and the resonance of it? Um, I think a lot of, you know, we talked to a lot of women, we've been having a conversation recently about being on voice and in your power and how that sounds differently. So I'd love to kind of explore, you know, between the physical and the resonant voice. Hmm. Well, you know, for me, um, the arousal of the association with my sexual being, my sensual being, and my sensory being all came at once. But for me, I've always felt that love, sexuality, and the way that I am sensually is a sacred act. I've always felt completely at one with the divine. And I remember experiencing, you know, first orgasm that wasn't self-stimulated. It was all about making love. And literally, I was at one with the divine, which is interesting as a concept because it's a very ancient concept that our people's um, I don't know what happens in the in the Far East or indeed in in the African cultures, but in the Caucasian European medieval cultures, they had a great belief in something they called le petit mort, the little death, which was coming, which was orgasm. And they 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 believed in medievalism. And Shakespeare writes about this that there are three points in our lives where we're completely at one with the divine: birth, orgasm, and death. And you hear you know Juliet's. Juliet in Romeo and Juliet speaks this, and she's apparently 14 when she falls in love with Romeo and has this relationship. So for me, the appreciation of spirit has always been wrapped within the sacred harmony of the way that I feel things, because I, I know that the whole of my body is rather like a lightning rod. It feels so much. Spirit, to me, is an embodied creation. Now, where voice fits in is that I, I believe that what I've learned over the years uh, is that sound is at the very core of creation and that we have within our bodies this ability to make sound. 
And so if we have this ability to make sound in relation to sound as at the core of creation, then why not go to the very core of our own creative process? And really, even if it takes time to dig deep and to remove masks or skins or ways of being that have always been to do with protecting ourselves from violent um, energies on the outside of us or protecting ourselves in inhibition from really expressing ourselves, that the best way to actually move into the firmament of what we're really all about, you know, the inner cosmology of what we're all about, and using the whole of our bodies as an expression of our spirit is to go right into the way that our voices can, can make sound. Um, and so that was always a very natural path for me. What I then began to do as a voice coach is to define it in a very specific way, which is also quite an ancient concept. I mean, we know that this was, this was deliberated in, in Rome and in Greece, that in, in the ancient Greek civilization, that we each have a note. And so what I do as a voice coach is to tune people into their note. Now, the philosophy that I'm really talking about began before the noise, before the machines. And today, I feel that our, our, our notes sounding or the song of our soul sounding, because I feel that when we find our note, we find the song of our soul. And if we can begin to express this, it produces a level of harmony within our beings where we feel immensely powerful. And that's really what it is to become an empowered and integrated human being, a spiritual being having a human experience. So what I do is I tune people into their note. And when we find that note, we find that there are lines of energy that we can literally float on in our sound making, which allows us to connect with extraordinary lines of energy, song lines, if you like, within the cultures of our people and also those that exist within the planet because our song lines connect with the vital electromagnetic lines of our planet. Is this all making sense? Yes. I'm, I'm interested, like, when you work with people one-on-one, -on -one, do you have to go back to that moment or that time where the soul's note became kind of out of tune? Like, when they were born, was it, was it pure? What, what does that look like? And how do you, you know reprogram it in a way the actual way in is quite simple as we experienced when we were working together on the on the you know the retreat on the land mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, doing something about it is a little bit more complex but actually tuning into it you know doing something about it is a little bit more complex because we have our own so we have our own habits we have our own masks and a lot of them are unconscious and so what I do is I try to very lovingly and very compassionately allow someone to understand what their masks are, what their inhibitions mm. are, what is happening unconsciously. But what's interesting, you see, is that we're all educated, socialized, and conditioned by the doing impulse. And as a result of this, what happens is that most of us live in our heads. And of course, this sound, as we know, is very familiar in the United States of America, and it gets even more nasal, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, this tends to be more of a, like the New York City sound, where you get a lot of nasality coming in. But of course, all of the sound is just coming from this upper region of my body. And then what I'm going to do is change and go back to my note 
and then suddenly I, I produce a very, very different quality of sound. So in terms of the differential between somebody who lives in their head and somebody who lives in their body, the shift can actually be quite easy, particularly if life in the head has created stress, challenging relationships, whether that's professional or personal. By getting somebody to really be in their body, all of that begins to change, just like that. Is there almost like a magnetic quality that when you are in your note and you are putting out your note and your true voice, is it almost like everything in your life starts to happen because you are finally being your true self? Yeah. And how long did it take you to find your note? Like, when did you realize that this was your methodology and that this was really what was going on and that this was your calling? I've always known instinctively, I've always known the hidden promise of what we're discussing. And then the intellect gets in and defines it in other ways, you know. And for me, what it's been is this wonderful, continuously organic happening. I spend a lot of time just listening to life. I mean, literally being still and meditating and contemplating. And it's quite interesting, you know, when you move into stillness and when you move into silence, that the universe speeds up with its manifestation process. And suddenly you come out of stillness, you turn a corner in life, so to speak, and there's somebody standing there saying, I want you to do this job. I want you to meet this person. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Or do you know, why don't you go to the far corners of the earth and meet this extraordinary shaman? That's how it's always been for me. It's a sort of magic when we have the ability to still and cease the searching but just accept and allow. Having said that, I'm a great seeker, as you can feel. I'm a great searcher. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I have this ability that I've learned of being able to do and be, and not just do, 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 do. You know, I think Scooby-Doo had it right. Dooby, 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 do. The awarenesses that I'm talking about, the points of identification, have really just grown and grown and grown and grown because of being present with the moment. Even when I'm working with someone who's quite demanding, you know, and stars or famous people in the world can often be quite demanding because their reputation precedes them. So they're still the human being, but then you get whatever, you know, who, who should we, who, who, can I, who can I choose? Mm -hmm. Johnny Depp walks in mm -hmm. and there is the human being who is the sensitive, intuitive man, but then you get the paraphernalia of this is a big star, if you like, you know, which can be referred to as being eager. I mean, with Johnny, I feel that that is all very diffused in the nature of his craft as an actor because he's a sensitive so he shapeshifts, which is what we see on camera. Mm. Or somebody like Daniel Day-Lewis, you know. So if we can get past all of that paraphernalia, we can go to the very core of what the spirit is all about. And these people, the people that come to me, they always come to me through word of mouth. And they hear that I have this ability to not just deal with their world from a mechanistic point of view. Let's tick the boxes. Okay, if you have this technique, you're going to be magnetic. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. 
It has to be holistic. It has mm-hmm. to be the whole person. And that's the way that I, I see it. And of course, the people that come to me, they often have challenges. They often have problems. And the difficulty that they're experiencing is being able to read what the challenge is or what the problem is and then how to heal it. And for some reason, I have an innate sense of how to help somebody back into harmony. Because if we have a challenge that's really affecting us and we're not being the person that we really want to be, it's always to do with the fact that we're not seeing how to be able to move into harmony. I have experience with SoulCycle, the repetition of using my voice. And I know a lot of our listeners are conducting meetings on a regular basis, the repetition of it can sometimes, in my experience, compromise the quality of the voice and kind of eat away at you a little bit. And so I've worked really hard to try and stay on voice and present, but is there any way, ways in which that, you know, in working with, I know you do um, some corporate Uh, training as well, that you coach people to make it almost feel new every time they are uh, vocalizing anything. Yeah. And you see the determining factor to make it new in, in the corporate world are the relationships that are being established, which is slightly different, I feel, from the context that you find yourselves in. Mm -hmm. Because there you are, dealing with a group in a uniform way, although you see them as individuals, you're dealing with the group and you're engaged in a hybrid activity. There you are on a bicycle, there they are on bicycles, and there you are with your microphone and you're needing to take it through a workout. It's an unusual activity. And to be frank, I'm pretty ignorant about that. I mean, I still, I still have not yet gone into either do a class or observe a class. We're waiting. It's so psycho. <laughs> I would drop dead. <laughs> yeah, I know that something that I was going to do in uh, I, in May. I was in New York. Mm. Um, I was I, after you guys. I went for two weeks to LA and then four weeks to New York. And um, I was going to work with Sean, and somehow it never happened. Wow! So the two contexts are just slightly different. Uh, but I do believe that the, the key is how we establish contact with the people whom we are with, you know, because all successful communication is based on the response we get. And that if we're not getting the response that we want, all we need to do is change strategy, and then we get the response we want. Uh, now, how you fit that wisdom into your context, I need to be there to see it. Right. What about in like a more corporate setting? Well, it's about it's about the individual that's sitting in front of you. So. Okay. Yeah. For women that are listening that don't have never thought about this, so this kind of topic and this uh, discussion is newer to me since starting the podcast and um, understanding the power of my voice. Still working on being in the note consistently, but I've really come to recognize how important it is to, to me being my best self. For women who want to discover their note, what would you suggest that they do or for them to understand if they, the voice that they are using right now is their note? Well, that, that, to, to begin with, there needs to be a recognition of, okay, so what, what would you like to do with your voice? And perhaps because our voices are just so, are often so wrapped, 
within the multitudinous of, multitudinousness of what it is to be a human being, that maybe their voices are being commented on by somebody on the outside. And it could be a spouse, it could be a partner, it could be a child, it could be a member of the family, it could be a friend, or it could be the HR. It could be the line manager. And often it's about the way that they're using their voices in a formal context. So where however they come to the quest, or just somebody who's stimulated, you know, who hears this podcast and goes, shit, I never thought about that. That's really fascinating. I would say, good, read The Alchemy of Voice. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. will, or, you know, yes. or go to www.thestuartpierce.com, S-T-E-W-A-R-T-P-E-A-R-C-E. And there's a lot of information there that will awaken the individual to some of the information that we're exchanging and the uniqueness of what our voice is about at this time. Because what we're all recognizing, particularly the, the amazing women that are coming to the fore at this time, and particularly through hashtag MeToo. I mean, you know, the next chapter of history is going to be written by the women and the girls, there is no doubt, not by the men. And so what's interesting is that you're all stepping forward and you're recognizing that within your psyche, within the psychophysical of your being, there are voices of oppression. And sometimes your own voice, your own voice is sorely affected by the voice of oppression. And now what's happening is that there's this churning will to step forward and say, I'm going to release this voice of oppression. And also, I have courage because my sisters are doing it as well. Mm. I can see my sisters. Because after all, who came forward and said Harvey, Harvey Weinstein sexually compromised? Ashley Judd. You yeah. know, she was the first person to step forward. And then suddenly there were three other people, who, women who stepped forward. One of my dearest friends, Kim Rubinstein, who I tried to action into stepping forward 12 years ago, but she was terrified. Wow. Because she was sexually abused by the artistic director that she was the associate director with in a theatre on the West Coast. He no longer has that job because through the insistence right now, this year, of um, me saying, you have to do something about this. Your sisters are doing something about this. You must become part of this vanguard of energy where the arousal of the divine feminine frees you all from the voice of conflict or the voice of horror or the voice of shock or the voice of trauma, the vo what I call the voice of oppression, and find your own voice. And she spoke so loudly that people set up and listened, whereas 12 years ago, they weren't really listening. And this man no longer has that position of responsibility. So therefore, he has to own his karma and recognize that his conduct was completely inappropriate and that he needs to heal that because that's part of his quest as a soul being on this planet at this time. I believe we were, we were younger, but I do distinctly remember watching Princess Diana speak and I don't remember the particular speech but I do know that there was a shift and I have an intuitive hit that <laughs> you were the reason uh, you were behind that and and without getting too personal about that but I just am fascinated someone who is in the public eye and who is so human as she is for her to be 
be in her power and on voice in such an oppressive construct, uh, to have that shift is really powerful. Can you speak on that? Yeah, I love the way you speak about her being here rather than past. Yeah, I mean, she's... I that was, I know that was a slip of phrase, but I think she is here. Yeah. yeah. She's absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, well, I, I came along in her life. She, I was recommended to work with her by one of her dearest friends, who was a client of mine. And to be honest, I was asked twice, and I avoided it, because I didn't want to become part of the circus. And too many of people like me, you know, coaches or empowerers or healers or therapists, had worked with Diana and then they'd run off and given all of their secrets to the daily tabloids and made a lot, you know, shitload of money out of it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was one of the most unscrupulous things. You know, I really felt that we were, we were dealing with the public examination of an amazing empath who just vibrated pure love and was trying in her own, sometimes in glory, sometimes in clumsiness, through bulimia to discover who she was. And so I didn't really want to get involved in the horror of all of that and in the paparazzi thing. However, (laughs) this dear friend, who alas is now dead, um, the friend of Diana said, well, why don't you come and have lunch? Because this lady owned a beautiful restaurant that Diana loved. And so I went and met them both for lunch and and I fell in love. (laughs) I just (laughs) fell absolutely in love with this adorable being. It was just... Uh, I mean, of course, she was very beautiful, but it wasn't just the exterior beauty, which was luminescent and this huge energy field. It was the fact that her heart was just so beautiful, so delicate, so kind, so honest. Mm. And she had just made the Martin Bashir interview on a program called Panorama, where she's doing all of this thing. (laughs) There There are three people in this marriage... And I, you know, and I said, um, okay, so would you like a comment on this? I feel that what we need to do is to stop, you know, looking like this. And maybe the eyeliner can go. And so what <laughs> we're going to do is just lift you up so that you feel that the whole of your spine articulates the confidence and the empowerment of your being, because you're a beautiful woman. When you walk into a room, it's not just Diana walking into a room. A goddess walks into the room. And that's why you are the most photographed woman in recorded history. You are iconic. So what I want us to do is is to awaken to the archetypal status of the fact that you are an anointed one. So let's not hide, let's stop, stop hiding from that. And she went, yeah, I'm right on. (laughs) (laughs) What I did was I just created a strategy for her by borrowing all the craft skills that I've developed over the years, which are used by great actors. You know, how does an actor walk on a stage and summon or command the attention of 2,000 people? If we're in our note, if we're really aware of this power of our physical presence, we radiate a magnetic glory. Mm. And all peoples are arrested by it. You know, and we saw that during the work that we were doing in, in, in the retreat, didn't we? We saw that when people dropped in to their authentic voice, there's a mechanism in we human beings, which is completely organic, where we sort of go, wow, who is, what did you, 
what did you just do? That was amazing. Mm-hmm. It's very extraordinary that a piece of magic is released from the cosmology of our inner presence. Wow. So that's what, I, that's what I did with her, you know, and building her confidence. Of course, at the mean, in the meantime, she was still going through the process that we now, you know, that we can now read about because it's been chronicalized by so many biographers of divorcing Charles. Now what do I do? You know, that was her, that was her big mission. And she was constantly saying, well, you know, I'm never going to be authoritarian. What I'm going to be is humanitarian. And so she went to the major points of focus in her interest, whether it be AIDS, whether it be homeless people, whether it be drug addiction, whether it be mental health, or whether it be landmines. So I was helping her determine, not necessarily the idea, oh, I must work with landmines, because that was very much, that came to her through what, excuse me, through what was requested of her, but how she can approach it in terms of, um, the level of her interest, the the amount of activity that she was involved in, and of course how she developed her public persona to speak about the matters that really moved her to bring about change. Mm. And that's why I'm calling, you know, I'm in the process of um, publishing a book called Diana, The Voice of Change. And so the workshops that I'm doing around the world at the moment are called The Voice of Change because I feel that Diana is with us, providing us with an inspiration of how this, of how we can find our voices, particularly women and girls, how they can find their voices to be revolutionary in the way that Meghan Markle is revolutionary, A, because of what she was able to attain before meeting Harry, and now she's changed the whole of British monarchy. It's extraordinary what she's been able to do through mm. the love of these two beautiful people that, you know, because after all, she's half African-American, she's an actress, she's American, and she's divorced. <laughs> and she's just married a royal prince. And 22 years ago, when Diana was around, divorce was simply not a question. You know, I mean, the, mm. the shock of Prince Charles divorcing her and at the same time as his own siblings divorcing their spouse, that was a huge, huge shift. Whereas I, when I was a child, the Queen's sister fell in love with a man who was divorced, and she had to give that relationship up. That was group Captain Townsend, because he was a divorcee. We couldn't have a, pri- a princess of the, the, royal, the royal tradition and heritage of the British Isles marrying a divorcee. I mean, that was the social stigma that was there. But of course, we come a long way, you know, and we come a long way in terms of the emancipation of our sexuality, whether it be to do with the fact that it's a heterosexual man or heterosexual women, woman rather, or to do with the fact that we're, we're gay or bi or trans. You know, there's this huge revolution that has taken place over the last 22, 25 years and I personally find it really interesting. I'm working with two mm. transgender people at the moment who are absolutely amazing. And they're women who have become men. They're gorgeous men, I'm telling you. Wow. <laughs> they're really extraordinary. And so what I'm doing is helping them find a way of really being with their voices, of really being with their note, so that they speak the voice of liberation, the voice of empowerment, and the voice of courage, and the voice of pride in who they are. Just to piggyback off of that, you know, if you are someone like Diana who has been, you know, anointed in that way, 
And just you, you too, you're working with a lot of people and giving a lot of energy. Like what does that spiritual self-care look like to be able to hold space in that way and to also retain the energy needed to give more? Does that make sense? Because we we kind of deal with that. We're on tour now for the podcast. And so we're speaking to, you know, 100, 200 people at a time and to hold space for them and still stay on our note and to be in our body presents sometimes a challenge. Mm-hmm. There are a series of degrees that I use. I mean, the first thing is that, and I hope I radiate this, that the raison d'etre, the origin, original impulse of my work is all about love. Love, 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 love. And love for me is all there is. So that's an inexhaustible force. And as soon as we find ways through meditation, through mindfulness, and and mindfulness, I mean physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So it's, you know, what what are we eating? What are we drinking? What, what, What sort of lifestyle are we living? Are we really making sure that having done a lot, that we're really moving into conscious recovery? What is the nature of that conscious recovery? Um, so if we're not meditating once a day, we're crazy. And I say we need to be meditating twice a day. But those meditations need to be the second degree, which is detach, feel stillness, and observe. Mm. So wherever we are in the busyness of our lives, professionally or personally, that when we encounter not joy, because joy and love are just effortlessly free-flowing, and it's so easy to live those. But if we're experiencing challenges, which many of us are, because our world is quaking, all of the systems that have kept our world together, particularly in relation to the patriarchal nature of central government and all its bureaucracy, is quaking because its system is now moving through its death rows. And there are people working within those systems that don't want it to die. And as we're seeing, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a bit of a mess. But at the same time, if we don't experience a detachment and a stillness, then I feel that particularly as empaths, we get caught up in the hurly-burly of what's, ta- of what's taking place, either within the inner sequence of somebody's neuroses or within what's happening neurotically in the world. Mm. And the- take time out from it. Um, the, third, the third degree, I would say, is that if we can be a one with breath, breath is our soul, breath is pranayama, breath is chi, breath is may the force be with you. And that if we're really in tune with our breath, what happens is that we find the ability in the, the moment between the in-breath and the out-breath, there's a very, very powerful God spot there. And if we can find that spot, we bring the whole of our being, particularly the left and right hemisphere, into balance so that we work from the whole core of our being. And that is a space of inestimable force. Mm. That's a space of inestimable magic. It's a, a space of untold power. I want to touch on the physicality of your voice. So, you know, there's a lot with your soul and there's a lot with breath, but can you touch on um, how we can physically tap in or what kind of physical cues we should be using? And additionally, eating, drinking, you know, how we're taking care of our body. How does that affect our voice? Yeah. And there, there are a series of CDs or recordings, MP3s that I made, which address this, you know, and one of them, I would say to the listeners, 
um, if they're really interested. The first one is awakening, which is all about finding our note, how to breathe into relaxation, relaxation, how to find a note. And then the second is called initiation, which is for the practiced individual who, who maybe is meditated and is aware of what stillness is created through meditation and maybe is also engaged in yoga or tai chi or qigong um, or you know the work that you guys are doing where you're finding the expenditure of energy then leads to moments of recovery where you feel really still and grounded um, and that, that 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 recording is called initiation where we literally chant within body chakras mm -hmm. open and then the mm -hmm. first transpersonal chakra of mm -hmm. the universal heart what this does is you see it it begins to develop the musculature of our body voices and as a result of that they automatically organically become we become very conscious i mean i can take you through two minutes worth of meditation where we tune into your note if you like Mm, I'd love that. Oh, wow. Would that would mind? be incredible. Feet on the ground, baby. <laughs> okay. So, as you just say, if you just, wherever you're seated, whether it's cross legged or sitting in an upright chair, if you can just make sure that your whole body is as grounded as possible. So, that, in other words, you feel weight, the weight of your being in connection with the floor or the earth or whatever you're seated, seated on. And then as you do this, be aware of your spine aligned so you're not sinking into the pelvis or slumping. The spine is aligned. The specific reason for this being that the neural pathway of your spine is the most important energy conductor of your body. And if it's bent, then your brain is bent. So if you're straight, you're, you know, automatically the energy flows very, very, very freely. And then just check what's happening in the upper body so that your shoulders are very balanced and not round-shouldering or braced back. And just place your hands in your lap or on your thighs. And if you want to, bring the tip of thumb and forefinger together either side. And then as you feel your spine, imagine that the whole of your spine is illuminated by a silver-white beam of light that goes all the way through your spine. And if you can imagine it going down through the base of your spine and then through where you're seated, into the floor beneath you, maybe through the floors of the building, if you have floors beneath you, into the basement, into the earth's crust, and then go down through the soil, the clay, the stone, the rock, into bedrock. And even though your spine is aligned, you'll feel a very subtle energy in your body just drawing you deep into the feeling of being in connection with Mother Earth. You see, the interesting thing is she's always there holding us. It's just that we ignore her. The way that I place it is that she has unconditional love for us. That unconditional love we call gravity. So ask her for a gift, ask her for a blessing, and then coming up through the rock and the stone and the clay and the soil and then the earth's crust, through the basement of the building and then through the floors, wherever you may be positioned, back into your body and just see it going all the way through your spine. If you have any images or blessings that Mother Earth has given you, place them in your heart as you feel 
the laser beam of light going through the spine and then shooting off through the top of your head, through the building, through the atmosphere, the planet, off, 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 and seek out the brightest star above our heads, which is Venus, known as the morning star, the evening star, and just connect with Venus. So the sister of love, Venus, Aphrodite, is overlighting you, and Mother Earth is underpinning you. So this is pretty good. And now we're going to breathe in the breath of Father Heaven. And if you can see the breath as you breathe in as a beautiful silver white light, you'll feel it going down through your body, rather like an elevator going down through a shaft. And then we're going to use it to chant through our hearts to find our note. So just let all the breath go. Feel the need to breathe and then breathe in. Feel the whole of your interior full of that white light, pause, and then let it go. Feel empty, feel the need to breathe, and then breathe in. Feel the whole of your interior soothed, caressed by that breath, and then let it go. Again, feel the need and breathe in. And then just let it go on. Just soak in the feeling of the depth within you, of the weight and the stillness. And you'll feel the stillness. It's just really beautiful to be in the presence of as you soak in you. And notice that the feeling of soaking in you gives you a feeling of your texture, your fabric, your essence. So in effect, we're soaking in soul. Your soul, my soul, our soul. And as you feel this, just notice how your skin suit creates a subtle separation between the inner you and the outer world. And within your skin suit, there are these portals that we conceive intelligence through. All of our beliefs, all of our attitudes, all of our ways of being are filtered through these portals, which are our senses. So let's just feel feeling, 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 the feelingness of feeling. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, to the seat of your butt, to the tips of your fingers. Hearing, hearing, hearing the hearingness of hearing. More subtly, smelling, smelling, tasting, tasting. And then when you're ready, 
just gently opening your eyes and the world will look like a completely different space. Thank you. That was amazing. Well, I feel wonderful. You. I do thank too. You. Seeing the voice or the face of an angel. You, gl- <laughs> you glow. <laughs> you do. I was just thinking about how, um, I mean, we, we have a meditation practice. Krista actually introduced me to meditation, but if someone can't, like the act of just taking a moment to be still, you know, our generation especially is literally going from A to B to C to D. The in-between is of no importance to a lot of people. I think a lot of like my anxiety exists in like not taking the time to find that stillness because I think I should be moving always, like moving forward. So that was really powerful. Thank you. I do, you know, I do, I hear you very loudly and it's something that I'm very preoccupied by, that we spend too much time doing, 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 doing. And, you know, most of the time we're not doing what we could be doing because they say so. So we get stressed out. We produce a lot of stress hormone just to support the doing. Mm. And then somebody comes along and said, have you ever thought of just being still? And then we become, we become absolutely amazed yeah. by in the stillness is a power that is almost more powerful than the doing. And I feel that that's the secret that you women are teaching us men. Because I feel the stillness, that quality of being, is the divine feminine. And the doing is the male. So in order for all of our peoples on this planet to come back into balance, there needs to be this very remarkable remarkable change. You know, I was, on a, I was on a TV panel the other evening, which was discussing what do we need to do to change the chaos in the world? And so I borrowed from Einstein. You know, Einstein said there is no way that we can heal the problems of the world by using the same strategy that created. So the point of definition has to be, well, what's the, defi- what's the strategy that's created the problems? And for me, it's doing, 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 and the stress hormones of noradrenaline, cortisol that we produce to support that doing. And then we begin to realize, well, no, the new paradigm has to be being, 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 being. Because when we're being, we produce endorphins like serotonin and oxytocin that make us high. Mm. I mean, oxytocin is the love hormone. We all know what it's like when we fall in love. It's like we can become invincible, (laughs) like Superman, Superwoman. We can become. So what happens if we're being, 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 being? And then um, the next question was, well, how does this fit into the context of healing some of the problems that we're seeing, for example, in either central government or within the principal financial services in the world? Because we're obviously heading towards some level of immense crisis. In central government, it's always already happening. So I said, stillness. And they said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, if we look at central government, particularly in the United States of America, it's obvious that the Constitution needs to be redefined. So where did the Constitution come from? And everybody said, well, Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) Founding fathers of the United States of America. So Benjamin Franklin, George Washington. And I said, yes, and, and where did they get it from? Everybody looked nonplussed. And I said, have you ever been to those buildings that those men lived and worked in? Have you ever noticed that they are amazingly still? Because they were all Quakers. 
And the Quakers sit together twice a day for an hour without doing a thing. It's an honoring practice in absolute stillness. So you see, those men created the extraordinary nature of that constitution in stillness. They dreamed it into existence, and then they wrote it down. So I feel the panacea. I mean, can you imagine the Senate beginning every single Senate hearing or important doctoral process in silence, in stillness? I mean, in really conscious, mindful, breathed silence. All the enmity would literally evaporate. We were just talking about that the other day. Like, we're waiting for the day when, you know, the president begins either a meeting or a speech with a a grounding, a meditation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How different it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Our events, when we do a grounding or a breath or take a moment to bring into the room, the difference in the quality of the event is palpable. It's yeah. Crazy. It, you could tell, you know, it just... It's more controlled. We're able to handle the energy. We're able to direct the energy appropriately. I mean, it's it's the most incredible thing. So we always, you know, make sure to do with each event to have a grounding moment of breath. That was beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Stuart, thank you so much. Yes, thank you this is so much. Really, really powerful. We think it's such fun seeing you two beautiful ladies. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. we're headed we're headed to London in the new year for our tour, so we'll be sure to reach out. Oh, I would love to hang. And you must please do, please we do, will. please do. Yeah, um, at some point, I'm going to be moving to New York. But- <gasps> oh, really? Doing what? What? What's going on? Ah, oh, big things, big things. I'm sure. The next step, I have to be in the Big Apple. Yes. Oh. Step of creativity, and it has a lot to do with Diana, the voice of change. Mm. I wonder if it's going to be a show. So it's going to be, (laughs) yeah. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of, there are big projects planned. Mm. And maybe even love. Mm. Wonderful. A love interest. That would be. Oh, I feel that for you. I feel that very strongly. Putting it out there for you. I also, do you think, and, I, I don't mean to overstep, but it's, do you think Diana brought Meghan Markle to her son? Like, I feel like that was, that was so her energy to, you know, she is, she is changing that paradigm. And yeah, I just felt like she's so. Unquestionably. Yeah. So she's going to do it for you too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well thank you so much we are so grateful my pleasure you are absolutely beautiful i've had such mm-hmm. fun being with you so thank, thank you. you very much and um and to all the listeners yes i say much love namaste 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 where can they find you really quickly so i just want to make it clear so that they can find your recordings your website your services everything yeah, I mean, we, we haven't we haven't talked about the slightly more uh, metaphysical side of me, but you know, the the overt side is StuartPierce.com. Mm-hmm. But then, if anybody's interested in the healing substance that I do, go to theangelsofatlantis.com. Hmm, why Atlantis? Because Atlantis was an extraordinary civilization of great purity, where mm. we lived on this planet, um, living fully a, a twelve helix DNA. At the moment, we're living a, a double helix DNA. Mm. Within our bodies, we have the potential to live a 12 helix DNA. Mm. Uh, and so what the angels are doing is teaching 
not let's return to Atlantis, but they're teaching a way of being pure love, pure joy, pure abundance. So I've just, you know, I've just done a, a, an immensely successful summit with um, a wonderful man called John, John Burgos, who's one of America's leading summit, summiteers. And, um, a you know, apart from the fact that 300,000 people listened into the conversation that we had for about an hour and a half, mm -hmm. 150 people came to have sessions with me. So, you know, 150, you know, and everybody is inquiring. The, the, the summit was called the Portal of Transcendence. Everybody was asking me about, well, how can the angels help me in this way? It's been very successful. I've been doing another one in the fall with Darius. Darius is just amazing. Amazing, amazing. And that will be in New York, New York or London? Um, it's online. Oh, it's online. Oh, Great. Wow. It's all online, you see. Okay. That's the amazing thing. So oh. I, have a globe, I, have a global, I have a global clientele. I, I, in fact, today, most of the time now, I'm online speaking to people, I don't know, mostly in the States, but in Kuala Lumpur, Hong Kong, Lagos, Moscow. Incredible. Incredible. Well, we'll have to hop on. I would, lo I would mm -hmm. love to. Mm-hmm. What I'll do is I'll make sure that your emails are on my newsletter list. Right. And then you'll get a monthly newsletter and you'll see what I'm doing, where I'm, who I, what I'm doing, who I'm doing it to, the whole thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we would love that. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We're so grateful for you. Thank you. I love you both. Love, love you both. too. Have, Have a, a good wonderful one. day. Bye. Oh, and did you guys like that meditation too? Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, that was so funny because I was like, I need to be meditating more. I was moving. We were, I, I'll literally stop talking about the move, but I needed more meditation in my life. And then we had two opportunities where meditations came to I us know. and that was one of them. It was yeah. really nice. It was so nice, but he's, Stuart is incredible. If you have a chance to, well, one, definitely grab his meditations and chants like, all of his stuff is so powerful. Mm -hmm. He has a book. And he has a book. And, you know, if you ever have a chance to go to one of his workshops, it's on his website, stuartpierce.com. Mm -hmm. But I mean, him in person, I can't wait for you to meet him in oh. person. Like he's literally out of this world. Yeah. Actually out not of this, of this planet. Yeah. Um, all right. Thanks so much for listening. Love you guys. We love you. Come visit us on tour. Almost 30 podcast.com slash tour. We are adding dates constantly and also going international in the new year. So if you want us to come to your country, we're planning on, uh, you know, taking this thing across the sea. We cannot wait to hop over. Yeah. So if you like to help us plan a meetup and know that the community is buzzing, please let us know. We're so down. Yeah. And then we have a podcast guide. So how to start a podcast on our website. Um, so you can get that there. If you guys are interested in starting your own podcast, it's $19.99. So go grab that. And then we have three more of our um, I Am Enough necklaces. So pick up your I Am Enough necklace and rock it. Rocket baby. All right. Love ya. Love ya. Love ya.